The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Everlasting Father, we have come before you. We thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to speak your word. We ask in the name of Jesus that Lord today you will open our ears to hear as we ought to hear. Our hearts to receive as we ought to receive. And when we are done Lord let your name and your name alone be glorified. In Jesus limitless name we have prayed. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Glory be to God. Today we'll be talking about Turn it, um, what, what I titled turning to God, turning to God, and I uh, will be taking our text from Luke chapter 15. It is a long read, so you bear with me as I read uh, Luke chapter 15, beginning from verse 1 all the way to the end. Tax collectors, verse 1 tax collectors and other notorious sinners often come to listen to Jesus. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go in search of, for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost ship. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want, to sh- I want my share of your estate now, now, before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When they finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, 
his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields walking. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back. He was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you have told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when his son Yet, when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We are to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. May the Lord bless the reading and the airing of his word, in the mighty name of Jesus. So the story, starts, the, 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 the story starts out in verse 1 by talking about the fact that tax collectors and other notorious sinners, notorious sinners, often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people even eating with them. Question is, so who should associate with Jesus? The good people alone, eh? So who did he come for? I mean, this was so big for Jesus because when that reaction came from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were in quotes, the leaders in the church at that time or in the temples at that time, Jesus had to use a parable to address the matter. It weighed on Jesus' heart so much, he gave them a second parable. The first one was the parable of the lost sheep. He said, who amongst you will have 100 sheep and lose one? I will not leave that 99 in search of one. He was not convinced that they understand the, the, the gravity of what they were dealing with. He gave them a second parable. He said, oh, and a woman has 10 coins and loses one. Would you not keep nine and say, let me go and look for that one and scatter the whole house until she finds it? After sharing two parables, he still knew that they were not, they didn't didn't catch the groove. You know, like they'll say, you get it? If you don't get it, forget about it. (laughs) But Jesus didn't forget about it. He gave them a third parable. And this was a parable of the prodigal son. Because it was important for them to understand the value of turning around. 
So while we dig deep into this parable of the prodigal son, there are four characters in this story. Four characters. The first character we're going to be looking at is the son. Verse 13. Verse 12 and 13. I'll start from verse 12. He says, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estates now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. I was reading this and I just thought about it and said, when this guy was asking and this younger son was asking, saying, give me the, my share of your wealth. I'm almost convinced that he wouldn't have just said, look, let me go and waste it. Let me just go and spoil it. He probably had a plan. Maybe a foolish plan, but he had a plan. He had a plan of executing and saying, look, I've been living with this, my father. Yeah, he's a wealthy man. He's done well for himself. But the way he's making money is too slow. The way he's running things is not current. He doesn't understand the new trend. All right? He doesn't understand how social media works. He doesn't understand what is happening nowadays. So while the father, for example, let's assume every year is comfortable with making a 100% profit. So maybe he starts the year with a million dollars, and by the end of the year, he has made $2 million. Praise God. Nice returns, right? That's what the boy sees. That's what the man is okay with. Doing it slow and steady. But the boy said, no. Why wait a whole year? I have some investment that if you give me that $1 million, I can put it today. And in one week, it can turn to $2 million. We know that those kind of stories all flying all around, right? There are plenty of those kind of scams. That's what they are. When they promise you heaven and earth, and it's, it's, it's so real, it's so close to us. As in, it's so, so real. Just yesterday, a colleague of mine that we played tennis together still called me and was inviting me to one of such schemes. Saying, ah, no, it's a guaranteed way of making money. And it's legit. It's legit. It's authentic. As a matter of fact, there are so many pastors involved, only that they don't want their names published. They want to keep it... Eden. They come up with all sorts of fantastic stories to just get you hooked on. A lot of them revolve around multi-level marketing. So you put your own money down, then they use you to go and get more people to come and subscribe. When you subscribe, <laughs> they will pay you commission on those people you have come and you think you are being rewarded. No, what they are doing is that they are damaging your credibility. Because when the bubble bursts, which always happens, when the bubble bursts, those people that you brought, they won't know that company is you, they know. And it's you that will have damaged relationships. So this boy, I'm very sure, must have said, look, I can make faster money. Bring my share of investment, my share of wealth now. I don't want to wait till you die. I don't know when you're going to die. I don't wish you to die. So, I, but I need it now. Because I want things to happen. I want things to begin to run. I want to begin to run things. And of course, we know, 
we know where all of that ended. He lost everything. Lost everything. There's no future in such scams because we need to get it into our head that we don't win money. You earn money. You don't win money. You earn money. So anybody that tells you, oh, there's a scheme here, all you have to do is just put 100,000 naira, and in 30 days you get 40%, that's a win. That is not earning. That's trying to win money. No, run away from it. Don't be deceived. Because it may, you may get it month one. You may get it month two, month three. It will collapse. Always collapse. Always. It's called Ponzi. No matter how they package it and flesh it all around, it eventually collapses. Run away from it. Everybody say, run away from it. So that you don't end up like the prodigal son. Hallelujah. Just after first service, when I mean, someone walked up to me and said, Pastor, do you know that when I finished my pension, when I retired rather, I took my pension and put it in such investments and I lost it. He told me just today after, service, after first service. It's real. It's so much around us. Run away from it so that you don't end up like this prodigal son. There's no future there. So, when things went really bad, verse 15. Okay, verse 14, I'll start from 14. It says, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve because he had lost all his money. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pig. You know, there's still something honorable about the guy because on his own, he went in search of a job. He did not go and say, okay, I saw a vacancy. I want to apply for a job. He went in search because this Bible says that he, he went and persuaded a farmer to hire him. Why? What, what, what do I like about this? Because he understood that there is dignity in labor. There is dignity in labor. You need to know that you have to work to earn money. You have to work to earn a living. To survive, you need to work. There's no room for the person that is lazy. You need to work. So on his own, he realized that, look, instead of me just sitting here and whining, sitting here and starving, let me go and use my hands. Let me go and use my leg. Let me go and use my brain. Let me go and use my muscles to generate income. Even if that income is not where I ought to be, but hopefully I will get there again. This mentality could only have come from the teachings of his father because he had options. Remember the scripture says that he lost all that money in wild living. Wild living means that it was living wild. When you are living wild, usually you don't live wild alone. You'll be living wild with wild people. Wild people are not very far from crime. So when things got really bad, it was an easy option for him to probably move into full-time crime. It was an option that would have been on the table. But instead he said, no, 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 no. Things are bad. 
but I must still remember the son of who I am. I am still my father's son. So therefore, I will not turn to crime. I will not go all out. I would look for a job. The only way he would have maintained this position is, is definitely because while he was at home, he would have been drummed in his head, in his ears, in his hearing, on a daily basis. Anywhere you are, remember the son of who you are. Wherever you go, remember who you are. Stealing should never be anything near you. Don't fight in public. As from as time he was a little boy, his parents would probably have been drumming it in his ears. So when he grew up, he said, teach a, a child the way he will grow. And when he grows, and when he grows, he will not depart from it. So when he was young, his parents must have been drumming it into his system, drumming it into his system, so that even when he became old and was now pressured because of what has happened to him in life, he could still not deviate. Question, what are you speaking to your children right now? What are you saying to your children on a consistent basis? They're still under your care. What are you telling them when they wake up every day? When they go to school, what are you telling them? What are you saying to them as how they should live life? The principles that should guide their existence. What are you speaking to them? What are you telling them? This young man knew that there was dignity in labor and he engaged. Even if it means feeding pigs. But he engaged. Verse 17. It says... When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. So, verse 17 starts out by saying that when he finally came to his senses, when he finally came to his senses, tough times is not the time to sit down and just be crying. When things are tough, when things are rough, it's not the time to just be looking for who to blame for the woes around you. Because he didn't do any of that. What did he do? He came to his senses. Tough times is the time to start thinking. How did I get here? How am I going to get out of here? Tough times is the time to start thinking. So when he finally came to his senses, he realized that there is no shame in going back and retracing his steps. Because critical thinking causes, makes us to, to get to that conclusion. That there's no shame. Okay, I goofed. Okay, but I move on. A lot of times we, we struggle with even admitting our own errors to ourselves. And that prevents us from moving to the next level. To the next thing that God has set for us. We are so proud and arrogant in where we are, even in the failures that we are in, that we're not humble, humble enough to bite our pride and say, look, I'm going to take whatever, is, whatever comes. I'm going to bite it. I'm going to move on. Because what he said here is that he's going to, he said, I will go home to my father. I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. Because he came to the realization that what he has done is despicable. 
Not only to the Father, but even to heaven. And the things he's struggling with is not what his father alone will even forgive him. Heaven also has to forgive him. He got to the conclusion himself. He says, I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Take me on as a hired servant. He was saying to himself that, look, interpretation of this for me is that, look, I have goofed. And I am responsible to say that I have goofed. I've made a mistake. So because of that, whatever punishment is coming with this mistake, I am ready to take it. But help me to retrace, retrace my steps. That's all he's saying. We, we all make mistakes. Things happen that we, I mean, we make plans. And a number of times our plans don't go as we plan. There's no shame in going back and say, I don't get ammo. There's no shame. There's no shame. He, I mean, let's even accelerate forward. He thought going back home would be shame. He didn't know that going back home was going to turn to a party for him. So he was, he got to the point where he said, look, I have to retrace my steps and start all over again. So we move to the second character. Verse 20, which is the father. The second character in the story is the father. Verse 20 says, So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. He returned home. So he was taking his baby steps, going back home. And the Bible says that while he was still very far off, his father saw him. That is very instructive for me. Because what that means is that any time we purpose in our hearts to turn around and turn to God, as soon as we make a small baby step move, God is making a giant step move in your direction. Yes. You think that, oh, you're, oh you, it will take you long. You have to walk and walk. Because the Bible says he went a distant land, right? That's what they said. The, the, the parable talks about that he traveled to a distant land and wasted all his money. So you think it's going to take you a long time. God is waiting for your heart to just turn around to him. And he will make that giant step towards you. Because that's what happened. The father saw him from a distance. From, he, he, he saw him while he's still a long way off. And the father saw him coming. As he saw him, no negative emotions, no beef, no hatred, no anger. Read this story. The scripture did not say that the father became poorer because he gave him half of his wealth. You see, when you know how to create wealth, there's no, they can't take it away from you. They can take some of the wealth, but they can't take that ability to create the wealth. So when the boy said, give me my inheritance before you die, the father looked at him and was like, this boy doesn't understand these things. This cobble cobble that you want to collect is coins, cobble cobble. Hallelujah. So the man did not have any negative emotions towards him. Rather, the Bible says that filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. 
And that's what God asks for us. Every time we decide to turn around and turn towards him, God has, is filled with love and compassion for us. He's ready to embrace us and kiss us. That's what God has for us. His son now said to him, Father, I have sinned against both you, both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. He had rehearsed what he was going to say. He was ready for whatever will come. He was ready and said, okay, look, I've lost my opportunity. So I'm ready to go low. But the father, trust me, the father is saying, even though you've lost your opportunity, there's always room for restoration. There's always room for restoration. You think you've goofed. You think you've done that unforgivable thing. There is always room for restoration. You think you've, done, you, you've, you've committed a blunder that cannot even be spoken about, that it, nobody must hear about. God is saying, there is always room for restoration. Just come. Just come. Verse 22. But his father said to the servants, quick, don't mind what he's saying. Ignore him. Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Because my picking are my picking. You won't say because of what he has done, you throw him to the wolves to eat. A son is always a son. And that's the position that God takes with us. Once we turn to him, we are always a son. Always. All it takes is for us to turn to him. Look at this, the, 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 the sinner that was hanging on the cross on the right of Jesus. The sin or the offenses that he committed, the thief, the, the sin or the offenses that he committed was so grievous, not only to heaven, but even to the human folk, that they decided that it was worth him being crucified. But just that last minute, when he turned to Jesus, what happened? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Just that all he needed to do was turn around. So every one of us, no matter what it is or where it is you think you are or what you have done, what you have put your hand into, turn around. Turn around. And your story will be like that of the sinner on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Hallelujah. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Every time, so the party began, every time that we turn to God, when we decide to give our lives to Christ, I don't know, maybe it's a personal experience, but I, I know a lot of people share this same experience. When we turn and give our lives to Christ, it's as if miracles just begin to rain around us. Miracles just begin to fall around us. Things begin to happen and fall in shape. That things that you couldn't explain, that you can't understand. I remember when I gave my life to Christ a while back. Um, you know, pastor is celebrating 17 years of uh, ministry. I'm not sure my own is up to that yet. Praise God. <laughs> Glory be to God. Let's pray hands together for what God is doing in his life. Hallelujah. I remember when I gave my life to Christ. I think it was in 1992 or so. 
I was living with my parents then at K2. And the house where we were then, the way it's structured is that you have the living area. Of course, if you enter into the house, you go straight into the living area. And immediately exiting the living area is the guest room. Then all the other rooms are on the other side of the building, of the, of the house. So if you were to come naturally, the first room that you would see would be the guest room. So I remember that particular evening, I was at home. I mean, fresh, I was just a new believer. My parents, I'm not even sure they, they knew that I had given my life to Christ then, you know. I was still finding my feet. And we were all in the sitting room. This thing was around 7 p.m. And I just decided to stand and go into the room, into the guest room. I can't remember whether I wanted to go and pray or to just go and sleep. But bottom line was that I went there and I dozed off. You know those kind of snooze or doze that you, you won't even know you have slept? It's until someone comes to tap you and says, ah, oh God, are you sleeping? That you'll be like, ah. You know those kind of sleep, right? And my mom just entered into the room. I was like, ah, Kunle, you are here? And I was like, oh yeah, I'm here. What happened? Within that short period that I went into the room and I snoozed off and she came to meet me, Armed robbers entered into the house, raided the whole house, went into all the rooms except the room that I was in. The entire, as in, everybody was touched. In the, they, they, didn't do, they didn't beat or do anything. But, but they just came, took things, a lot of things, in the whole house. The only room they did not enter was that room I was in. That's when I realized immediately that this God can protect you. I'd better hold on to him, and I've been holding on to him since that time. Praise God. God is interested in showing us himself. He's trying to throw in a party for us. Every time we turn to him, he's, ready to, he's willing to show us a new side of him so that we can know that, ah, there's more with him. We move to the third character. Who can tell me the third character? Huh? The brother, the elder brother. The elder brother is the third character, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields walking. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. Everybody say fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I have slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat as soon for a feast with my friends. Hallelujah. There's no record in this parable, at least in the Bible, that says that when the younger son left and was not around for a long time, that the older brother was beefing against him or was upset. There's no record. There's no record to show that he was hungry that the brother left the house. So how come when he came, he was now hungry? If you read this story, 
a few things we would pick from here. When you read this story, you would see, you will feel that the older brother, when he was complaining to his father, he said, all the while, I am working for you. And it's true. Because even when the party was going on, nobody said, go to the field and call your elder brother. They were having a party and having a nice time. He was coming back tired from the farm or from wherever the work was. Because he said he was coming from the fields. He was coming back tired and getting home. was like, ah, they're having a party here. And nobody even told me. Me while me, I'm there laboring. So when we read the story, we may say, okay, look, the father is mean to him by just making sure that he's working and working and working. Meanwhile, the one that's not ready to work has carried money to go and squander. But what we miss, the point we miss, is that this elder brother that stayed back at home, as he was working, what he was also doing was he was learning the trade. He was learning how to run that business. He was building his muscles physically. He was building his mental muscles to manage people. He was building his management skills to work with all the servants that are working with him. He was building his leadership skills. He did not know that that was happening, but that was actually what was going on. A lot of times when we become wealthy, when God blesses us and things are good for us, the quickest thing, the first thing we try to do is to make life easy for our children. Is to make sure that things, everything that they want, they just get. Daddy, I want take. Mommy, I want take. What we're doing is that we are making them, we are preparing them to be a prodigal son. Not you in Jesus' name. I'm not saying that we should make sure that they have a hard life. No. But we should train them in the way they should go. I came across a video online and I would ask that they play that video now. Hallelujah. That's deep. His grandfather walked 10 miles because things were tough. He struggled. He hustled. His father, because of the hustle of the grandfather, did not walk 10 miles. Now, easier life. Walked five miles. The father, too, was taught to walk, so he was still hustling. But the hustle has reduced a lot. So he walked five miles. And his son was good, good enough to be riding in a Cadillac. His son continued his hustle. Jelenke life. And he bought his son a Mercedes. Probably also showed him a little how to run a business. And that's how he was, the son was leading his life in a Mercedes. The son also had a child. The child was on the fast lane. Life was good. He can't be worried about anything. So what does he ride? He rides a Ferrari. Or maybe not a Ferrari. Hey, what's that song now? Something Maserati. Aha, uh -huh, that song. Living a good life. Riding in a Maserati. And he says his great-grandson will be walking again. Because when you live your life prodigal, without understanding the sacrifices of his great-grandfather that was walking and maintaining that sacrifice, 
You're only building problems for your own future. Shaquille O'Neal. Who knows Shaquille O'Neal? You know him? Yeah, yeah, okay, good. If you better, you people like, uh, you are better than first service. People don't know, didn't know him in first service. Shaquille O'Neal is an American, is a retired American NBA player, basketball player. Huge, giants, very good during this time. He played 19, for 19 seasons, plenty times, all-time uh, all all-star player, Olympic champion, MVP plenty times. You know, he did, had a fantastic career. As of April this year, I checked online, his net worth is $400 million. He's presently worth $400 million. He has this to say about how he raises his children. Think about that. That is a good father preparing his children for the future. He says in another video, he says, when I'm talking to my children, I tell my kids, we are not rich. I am rich. Let's separate it. Let's define it properly. He says, we are not rich. I am rich. Let's get it clear. I was talking online at another time, and this, this thing is working for him because his children are realizing that there's no freebies. One of them walked up to him at the end of a semester and said, Dad, I got straight A's. And said, oh, fantastic. So what do you want me to get you for getting straight A's? He said he wants a Tesla. His father said, you are not ready. Sit down. No Tesla for you. I mean, that is how to raise children. Make them work. Make them understand the principles and un un let them understand how to earn a living. There are no freebies in the real world. There are no freebies in the real world. The older son in this story we're reading, the older son was on the right path of greatness, even though he did not know it yet. But, but he was on the right path of greatness. Why am I so sure about this? We move to verse 31. Verse 31, after he had complained, his father said to him, Look, my dear son, you have always stayed by me and Everything I have is yours. He has not said it. But look, don't, don't deceive yourself. Am I going to give my servant? It's yours. So all this work you are doing, you are working for yourself. All this development, this thing you are building yourself, the skills you are learning, it's for yourself. You are everything I have is yours. But don't get it wrong. Today, we are ready to just celebrate because your brother that was dead has come back to life. Your brother that was lost is now found. There is room for comeback. The thing that the elder brother did not even understand again is that because legally, because the son has already collected his inheritance, even though he's back now and will be living as a son, when the father dies, even that younger brother becomes the property of the older brother. So everything he has is his. And that's how it is with God. Just as the fact that the old younger son 
by taking half of his wealth or taking his inheritance while the father was alive, just like it did not deplete the, the father. The same way we cannot deplete God in our giving, in what God wants to give us. We cannot deplete him. We can't reduce him from being who he is just because he has given something to us. Because the, the cattle on a thousand hills are his. It doesn't finish where it's coming from. That's how it is with God. The father understood this. That was why he was willing to say, okay, take. You want it? Take it. Take whatever you want and go. There is more where that is coming from. Finally, the fourth character we'll be looking at. Who can tell me the fourth character in this story? Hmm? The servant. The servant, the fourth character. Okay, you call it the servant. I call them the Sabi Sabi people. The Sabi Sabi. Hallelujah. Why do I call them the Sabi Sabi people? Verse 27. I'll backtrack to, uh, for, for, I'll start from 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields walking. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back. Isn't that the answer to the question? Your brother is back. That's why we are celebrating. But he had to put Jara. Your brother is back. And your father has killed the fattened calf. Sabi, Sabi. Who asked him? How is that his problem? Nine get them. No, think about it. How is that his problem? And unfortunately, a lot of times when we hear all this Sabi Sabi story, all these Jara stories, it disorientates us. It doesn't allow us to see as we ought to see. It doesn't allow us to hear as we ought to hear. So someone walks up to you and says, Oh, uh, Sister, Sister Mary. Are you aware that Brother Lagbaja is going through some tough times? That's a fact, right? Then she doesn't stop there. It's because he's a stingy person. You know? So instead of you now thinking, oh, oh, am I in a position to help Brother Lagbaja? What can I do? She has taken away that fact of the reality of Brother Lagbaja and added Brother Lagbaja is a stingy person. Then you walk away because of that. Can you relate to that? There are so many instances like that lurking all around us and it's just meant there to distract you. What is happening in the house? My, your brother is back. I am sure instantly the brother too would have jumped up and said, oh wow, praise God. Thank God he's alive. But he had to throw that. Ordinary asun. Because that's what it is now. Fattened calf. Or okay, maybe not asun. Pepper soup. It caused an issue so big that he said he's not going to enter the house. A, lot of, a number of times, we leave the major issue and focus on the minor issue. The things that are big that we should be celebrating, we abandon it and focus on the minor things and enlarge it until it becomes out of proportion. You, it, it happens every day in marriages. You have a fantastic husband or you have a fantastic wife. But that fantastic husband, unfortunately, has wet 
wet feet, for example. So every time he comes home and gets home and he removes his shoes, the whole house is smelling. And that becomes a problem that causes a fight. Meanwhile, in all other areas, he's fantastic. He's loving, he's giving, he's nice, he's a fine boy. He takes you out. But his shoes are smelling and that's the problem. Some women are looking at me and frowning. I don't, I don't know if that's your story or I'm just sharing an example. So don't be offended. Same thing, it could, be the, it could be the other way around. You have a fantastic, loving wife. But she has body odor. Just an example, Nemo can give now. I'm just giving an, okay, it's not body odor, mouth odor. Ah, is that worse? Okay, I'm not giving an example again, but you get the message, right? Uh-huh, all right. Leave the jara and focus, leave the minor. Focus on the major. Leave the minor and focus on the major. And you will see how you begin to see things differently. As we round up, we have to be careful, extremely careful, of how we perceive information. We have to ensure that when we take information, let's take the facts and leave emotions out. Because it's emotions that made the elder brother to focus on the fattened calf rather than the redemption of his brother. It is emotions that made the younger brother just focus on the fact that his father has never given him a simple goat to celebrate with his friends. This is not in my note, but just, and it just came to my mind right now. He has been with the father all along. He's just walking and walking and walking. There's no record that he asked his father for the goods to celebrate with his friends, and the father said no. What takes me to the real thing is that Ask, and you shall be. So a lot of times also, even in our Christian walk, we're just serving and serving and serving and doing all that we can do. But we forget at times to ask the things that we want. And God is waiting. He's saying, if you ask, he plenty there now. He plenty there. Maybe your brother asked. The young, think about it. The younger brother asked. And he got. So what if the you, you older brother too say, okay, I just want one goat. I'm not asking for everything. How can the father deny him? But he never asked. And now he's upset at the person that asked. Ask your own. Turn to your neighbor. Say, ask your own. Ask and you will receive. Ask and you will receive. The, the summary of this whole story is that the prodigal son came to his senses, realized that he needed to retrace his steps, came to the father, and the father welcomed him, celebrated him, and threw a party for him. Are you here today? And you know that your life, you've been living like this prodigal son, and it is time you know 
that it is time for you to come to your senses, turn to the Father, and walk into the open and open wide arms of the Father, that he may begin to celebrate you and throw a party for you. If you are here and you are such a person, just raise up your hand, all heads bowed. Just raise up your hand wherever you are. And just receive a card. Say you want to give your life to Christ. You want to turn around today. You want things to turn around for good for you. If you're here, you want to give your life to Christ. Just raise up your hand wherever you are. And you will begin to see the miracles. You begin to see God in action in your life. If you're online, you can do the same. Just indicate in the online uh, platform wherever you are. And, you, 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 and the online pastors will reach out to you. So if you're here... You want to give your life to Christ. Just do that now. Raise your hand and see what God will begin to do for you. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you for everyone turning to you, Lord, today. We are grateful. I cannot thank you enough, Lord. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for all you are set to do. I pray in the name of Jesus that today, Lord, let there be a turnaround in the name of Jesus. And in the lives of everybody that is here, Lord, let there be a turnaround that will cause rejoicing and celebration in the mighty name of Jesus. Honor and glory we give unto you, Lord. In Jesus' victorious name, we have prayed. Amen.